Welcome to the National Cancer Prevention Workshop presented by Less Cancer. My name is Lance Gould, and I'm the CEO of Brooklyn Story Lab, a media firm that works with purpose-driven organizations and teaches them how to create content to better amplify their work in the social good space. Thank you to Less Cancer for staging this event and for inviting me. And today I'm pleased to introduce Professor Miklos Fogarazzi, Associate Professor of Medicine at Frank H. Netter, MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University in Connecticut. Welcome, Professor. Thank you, Lance. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, thanks for the organizers of uh, Les Cancer and Bill Cousins um, for inviting me. Appreciate it. Excellent. No, it's really great. It's really great to have you and to be speaking with you today. And you've created this wonderful program. And to give the audience a little bit of context, let me just back up one, one, one sec here. The moment a patient receives the news that he or she has cancer, they start a journey that can be terrifying and not just in medical terms. There are a huge number of decisions, costs, procedures, and consequences that can overwhelm most patients. And most often, the person delivering that news to the patient is a doctor. But how prepared is the doctor to help the patient navigate this arduous journey ahead? And can some of these specialized issues be handled from a primary care point of view? Dr. Fogarazzi has come up with a potentially game-changing idea to help address this issue, a medical school class called Cancer Survivorship. Doctor, please tell us about this class. Cancer survivorship is increasingly realized to be an important topic, topic in terms of chronic disease management. Um, with the increasing survival um, from cancer and cardiovascular diseases due to our improved technologies, and with improving life expectancy, uh, we see more and more people surviving. Um, but these people survive the acute phase of cancer and continue to live on with some consequences. Um, many of these are managed in the primary care office, some of them in the specialist office. What we decided to do is to create a class in medical school uh, that's a semester long uh, for um, electively um, signing up students to review the most pertinent survivorship issues, increase their confidence level going forward. Excellent. Well, you mentioned that, that, that life expectancy has, um, has grown, of course, and, and, and that the, the, um, the, the advances that medicine has made in battling cancer has really led to some remarkable statistics. There are over 17 million survivors in the U.S., and this number is expected to exceed uh, 21 million by 2030. Tell us about some other advances and what consequences that success has had on both patients and on the medical community with people surviving longer. What we're realizing now is that surviving cancer alone is not enough. Quantity of remaining years is not enough. There certainly is a um, set of pertinent and rather complex qualitative issues. And so uh, Dr. Larissa Nekudov and her colleagues from the Brigham published a couple of years ago a paper setting, um, proposing a new quality of survivorship care framework, realizing that both individual issues and structural issues of taking care of survivors are increasingly important. In fact, I would take the risk and say perhaps a new discipline of survivorship is evolving within the already complex field of oncology. And when you mentioned Brigham, I assume that's Brigham Women's in, uh, in Boston, right? That's correct. We are associated with Harvard Medical School. Excellent. Uh, tell us about the silver tsunami. Sure. So this is a term that was first, uh, to my knowledge, used in 2013, describing that um, our aging society should anticipate increasing needs for mental health services and providers. 
Mm, but by 2016, 2017, more and more papers started to raise the issue that the increasing longevity uh, coupled uh, with um, cancer uh, will change how the proportion of survivors uh, can be looked at. Already um, earlier, we had half of the survivors uh, at age 65 or older. But the prediction is that by 2040, this number will rise to more than 70% of our cancer survivors uh, being over 65. And so with that um, seven out of 10 number, there's a need um, for people who already have their comorbidities, their other non-cancerous long-term issues. Um, this can cause the aging or graying of our society can really cause a medical tsunami unless we anticipate complex healthcare needs, taking care of cancer in patients with increasing comorbidities. There are more clinical trials needed, uh, more manpower, more specialty services, and more training for um, both general and specialist level physicians. It's so fascinating to look uh, holistically at the uh, societal implications of, uh, of, uh, of medicine, healthcare, and to look down the road um, things are changing ever so quickly now with the pandemic and things of that nature. And it's just fascinating to see, uh, to talk about, say, the silver tsunami. And what we've talked about so far is just really the general increase in life expectancy and the, and the, the unintended consequences that that has on society. It's really fascinating. Who are the students who are signing up for this class um, for the cancer survivorship? Is there a common denominator among the students? Our medical school at Quinnipiac has a general lecture on survivorship inserted into the second year curriculum, which is for all students. Uh, we decided to go beyond that and develop this elective, which takes on average about eight to 12 students a year. Um, they're signing up, there's a, there's a waiting list even now. Um, and we limit the number because of the intimacy of the discussion we hope to create around these very sensitive issues. So this, um, means that students sometimes come uh, with uh, their background um, from a gap year research or undergraduate research already in cancer. Others have developed an interest in cancer. Again, others have uh, either a family history or friends uh, or sometimes even themselves with a history of cancer and just uh, are more attracted to this. But what connects these students is that they realize that cancer is a chronic disease that will be prevalent in their future practice, and they are interested in learning more about this. Now, one of the interesting things we started to do from the beginning is we take on uh, additional students from undergrad level, from the School of Health Sciences at Quinnipiac. And this allows them to take a peek into what a medical school course might be, but it also adds a very inter interesting interprofessional dynamics. Uh, they questions sometimes come from a different angle. So 10, 12 students, a few of them from health sciences, mostly medical students. Well, you mentioned that you give undergraduates a peek at the class. Can you give us a peek at the class? And uh, take us through a typical classroom experience in cancer survivorship, the guest speakers the students would meet, the work they would expect to be expected to do, things of that nature. Yeah, sure. So um, this is an afternoon class on Thursday afternoons for about two and a half hours. We get together about 14, 15 times in a semester. You can think about it as a Thursday afternoon club, so to speak. It's taught in a Socratean mode. So we discuss, we sit. Um, 
we bring up issues and I'm deeply interested in how students' uh, opinions and concepts are evolving. Um, each session is typically managed by a co-facilitator and myself. So I bring on both actual survivors or members of our health professions, not just physicians, but also a social worker, a geneticist, um, a palliative care nurse, maybe a nurse navigator. So students get an idea that this takes a team to uh, do survivorship care well. Um, besides the weekly topics, which starts with general topics, uh, we also teach them certain skills, how to read statistics, how to break bad news, how to um, decide uh, someone's priorities towards the end of life, and uh, how to manage financial issues. So um, we have a set of topics following the American Society of Clinical Oncology survivorship guidelines and a set of skills that we hope these students practice. You mentioned how to break bad news as one of the uh, topic areas that you cover. Do you remember the very first time that you broke bad news to a patient and what that was like for you? I don't know the very first time, but I do remember the set of first times. So, you know, there's just an awful lot of anxiety and stress, and you probably do it the wrong way for many different reasons initially. And I would say this is an art uh, that one would cultivate for the rest of his or her professional life. Uh, certainly, um, creating a setup, creating the environment, uh, creating the time to be able to do this well, inviting the right participants, not just the patient, but family, and also on my end, not just myself, but my social worker. Sometimes, um, you know, um, people who talk about hereditary cancer better than I do. So it takes a team, it takes a location, it takes time. I need to know the case. And we need to be able to um, formulate a plan as a team. I certainly will have the options to offer, but I'm very much interested in what my patients and their family have to say. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure that it, it can never be easy to do to do that. Uh, what are some of the course objectives beyond preparing students to help patients navigate the complexities of a cancer diagnosis? What are some of the, the course objectives beyond that? Right. So we are hoping to instill in our students an interest towards the complexities of care, rather than shying away from uh, a list of issues that a survivor may present with, trying to understand them, trying to relate to them, trying to embrace them, trying to create an individualized set of parameters that define that particular person's survivorship journey. It's one thing to finish the acute chemotherapy or having had surgery and radiation, but what we find sometimes inviting our survivors is that the years um, after finishing the acute treatment can be just as complex or some points even more complex. So our objective is to give a framework for our students in which to think. Um, think about prevention, think about surveillance, think about comorbidities, think about genetic and social and psychological issues and how to coordinate all this care. We're trying to be practical. In fact, our um, goal is to create assignments even during the class 
that would bring our students closer and closer to do it in practice in the near future. And and, uh, just thinking about the students themselves, the students are human. And this is obviously a very, um, it's very difficult to uh, track or or predict uh, human behavior when it comes to this sort of thing. Are there certain people who um, are wonderful doctors, but that you've seen in this class, and you're not, I'm not looking for names, of course, but who just don't have what it takes to have that bedside manner. They just, they, they, they just can't make that happen, make that human connection. Let me step back for a second. We've been doing this class for six years now, and certainly that means six groups of students. Um, that's about a hundred, I'm sorry, no, that's about um, 70 students uh, who went through this class. And, and definitely there are wide variations. Some of them come with a big heart already. Uh, some of them come with more logical skills, but everyone can improve. A special challenge last year was um, to have this class on Zoom. Uh, mm-hmm. Having the interaction about these topics um, through the camera um, on a, of a laptop taught me that while it's easy to deliver knowledge, and facts and statistics, it's a lot more difficult to develop um, behavior or attitude or skills uh, of interpersonal relationships. Now, fortunately this year we came back to our round table, so to speak. And I can tell you that no matter what level of skills the students come in, they all tend to get more confident to talk about these. We asked them at the end of the, semester survey, and uh, they seem to be uh, doing quite well and improving in their confidence and technology techniques. It's interesting to see um, uh, making that human connection is even more difficult in this in this pandemic age, of course. Um, you were born in Hungary, where you got your medical degree in 1989 at Semmelweis University in Budapest. And then you came to the U.S., worked as a postdoc and completed an internal medicine residency at UMass before settling in Connecticut, where you did uh, a hematology oncology fellowship at Yale. Are there any insights you have from your time in Europe? Does the US have a different approach to navigating life-threatening illnesses like cancer? One thing I find is that students here are very receptive and perhaps don't hear enough um, of the little stories, of, of the little man stories, of the emotions, perhaps watching out for the cultural background, for the historical terms, of what it means to really have an individual's story come together. On the other hand, coming over here, people talk about cancer a lot more easily. There is no um, shame um, as much as where I grew up. Uh, There is no reason to hide the diagnosis. Um, It's more of a scientific challenge, if you will. A team of people come together. It's not an individual I'm struggling with this by myself. It's your physician and your physician's team and a very large uh, group of people supporting. Um, As an oncologist attending my first uh, Survivor's Day uh, celebration, which are held in late spring across the US, uh, I I was very much surprised how openly people were wearing their button um, with the name of their cancer and the number of years, how long they have survived. This was almost um, a culture shock, so to speak, um, to me in survivorship, that you can bring it out to the open, and it's probably better to bring it out to the open, uh, discuss this. 
And uh, looking at the complexities, I think that the U.S., by pursuing survivorship as perhaps a new branch of oncology, is doing something very important, very massive. Um, the predicted numbers of survivors will be around uh, over 20 million by 2030 in this country. So we have a very prevalent condition, if you will, of survivorship. Interesting. It's interesting, interesting to see how the difference culturally between U.S. And, 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 and Europe. I imagine that Americans are very um, uh, open to sharing things about themselves and, uh, you know, whether it's on T-shirts or other things and buttons. It doesn't surprise me that to see that that's a more open American quality. Not it's, it's just an interesting difference between that and Europe and Europe culturally. I would only speak for my my small experience here in New England, and and it might be completely different elsewhere. But certainly, there's something um, enabling, empowering to be able to talk about this more openly and gather a team who will take it on as a challenge. I I love that approach. Interesting. Is this the only class of its kind that you know about in medical schools? So survivorship is is um, increasingly important, and you see it. Um, survivorship questions are coming up now on boards uh, for board exams. You certainly see it at the um, CME level. So attendings are being taught about this. At the graduate medical education level, I'm aware of a number of residencies teaching it, whether it's a half a day workshop or whether it's a set of uh, lectures. A self-standing elective that a medical school does is somewhat of a luxury, I would say, in graduate education. So here in undergrad medical education, in medical school, I think we're doing something or we're experimenting with something that may be a bit ahead of other places. Again, uh, I humbly just add that we don't take the entire class. We really take mm, about 10, 15% of our class uh, with this intense approach. Um, but I look forward to perhaps linking a medical school approach like this to a more organized approach in a residency. So hopefully this will continue to grow. Well, speaking of school, uh, the context of school, how do these students actually internalize these skills and are there metrics to grade them or is it more about giving them an experience to prepare them for the field? Sure. So, so trying to assess of how they come in, we have a, a pre-class survey uh, where we ask them, what are your goals? What is your level of comfort in talking about cancer? These are second year medical students who, by the time of joining us, um, had had a longitudinal primary care clinic for over a year. So they have met some of uh, these patients, some of the active cancer patients or survivors in the practice. Now, we asked them again, what is your comfort level afterwards? What would you do? Who would you team up with? So we're certainly trying to tap into the evolving sense of, yeah, this is a multi-professional and an interprofessional um, topic. In uh, 2017, and also in, with this year's class, we tried something else also. I'm asking students to draw sort of an algorithm, we call it a concept map of what they think cancer is doing to one's life. And they draw it at the beginning of class and the, the maps are, are varied in their complexity. Um, and as we go ahead in the 14, 15 weeks, we ask them to repeat. And so we create essentially a series of concept maps by week four and eight and then towards the end. And it's heartening to see how 
thoughts become not just more complex, but also better organized. Uh, our students are able to think about the physical effect of cancer, whether it's late effects or, or uh, long-term effects, the psychological effects, the uh, spiritual effect and the social effects of survivorship. In fact, this is a model um, first popular um, by publications from City of Hope, a wonderful uh, cancer um, institution. And so following this model, we, I think we are building through the concept maps an understanding in our students' head that may lead to a more holistic level of care, seeing across the domains of survivorship and evolving that over 14, 15 weeks allows us to visualize of what our students now think at the conclusion of the class. It's, it's incredibly exciting to watch those maps. I would add that the, final, the final assignment is uh, we bring uh, real uh, survivors that our students haven't met yet and ask them to do an interview one-on-one. Mm -hmm. -on -one. Now, this is not a medical interview simple medical interview. This is a survivorship interview at the end of which the students should put together a survivorship care plan and a treatment summary. And then we ask them to map it out. What do you think of that patient as a holistic, um, as, a, as a person who has the issues of jobs, the issues of family relationships, of interrupted education, of maybe financial toxicity, besides uh, getting the neuropathy from chemo. So seeing across this is uh, one of the ways of measuring how much we were hopefully building their knowledge. And it must be very satisfying to see that as well. Um, on, the, on the class syllabi for cancer survivorship, I see that the school requires all students to be vaccinated and that masks must be worn in class. I lost my brother to lymphoma a number of years ago. And when I was visiting him in the hospital, mask wearing was required to protect him and other patients. It seems fairly logical and it shouldn't seem to be controversial to wear masks. Uh, how do you respond? Uh, how are you and the, and, and the Netter School of Medicine navigated the mask question during the pandemic? Sure. Um, we are fortunate to have a, a strong leadership effort here, both at the medical school and then across all schools of Quinnipiac that came up very quickly with unified approach. Um, there is um, a mask mandate, there's social distancing. Um, I would say 95% of the faculty and students are vaccinated. Uh, there are very good and well-planned return to campus guidelines. And while we had to pivot to Zoom teaching in 2021, I'm very, happy to say that this past fall semester from August to December, we were all in person following these rules. You know, I would do anything I can to teach in person. Um, knowing the difference of um, talking on Zoom versus uh, being in the same room with someone, um, I guess uh, we are lucky enough here uh, to have a, a well-functioning system. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Miklos, for spending time with us today and for sharing your brilliant work with us. It really is a game changer. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm happy to um, contact uh, with people. Again, as I said, I'm interested. I'm happy to share the curriculum, the syllabus, um, anything we can do to uh, help the uh, survivorship issues of our society. Wonderful. And thanks again to Less Cancer for having me and Brooklyn Story Lab be a part of this initiative. Thanks again. 
Thank you so much uh, to, for Less Cancer. I'm looking forward to other presentations on the workshop. Thank you.